Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Welcome again. My name is Jesse. I'm the pastor here, and from one imperfect person to another, let me just say that I am glad you are here. I'm glad you're here as we seek to follow Jesus together by growing as and and growing other Jesus followers. That's what we're all about, by, by knowing Jesus and making him known, which we do primarily by getting to know him and then by proclaiming over this world God's word, that we know God's Son through God's word, and not just in the, in the four books that, that are the, the sort of life biographies of Jesus, the four gospels written about Jesus, but knowing him from the first verse to the last in this book that we hold so dear. Because that's what it is. The Bible is the story of Jesus, which is why day by day, week after week, year in, year out, we keep cracking it open to see how every little story in it is ultimately about him. And we've been doing that most recently uh, with these two books called Ezra and Nehemiah in a series we've been calling Rebuild, looking at how God did that once in the life of his people which looked forward to him doing it for good in the life of his son and how he would continue to do it in us in the life of his church and ultimately do it once for all in the life to come. That's what we've been doing and we've been doing, we've seen God do that through the book of Ezra and began last week to see him do it in the book of Nehemiah, which is where we're picking up today in Nehemiah chapters 3 and 4. And if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there, beginning in Nehemiah chapter 3. And though I was planning on reading it in its entirety, I was warned early this morning that that might not go over so well for everyone. So I am not going to read it in its entirety. I'm actually not going to read it at all. We'll step into it piece by piece. And maybe as we do, you'll see why that might have left some of you in the dust. But anyway, before we jump in, let me at least pray. Heavenly Father, as we focus our attention in these next moments on really this list in Nehemiah chapter 3 and then the account that follows it in Nehemiah chapter 4, I pray that we would see the good work that you have chosen to do through your people. In the time of Nehemiah, build the walls of a city into which one day would walk your son, in whom you'd begin to build a better city, a city without walls that will by your grace one day come to encompass this whole world. And I pray that we would see that you've invited your people to be part of that work. And I pray that all without exception here would work for you 
in the confidence that you ultimately work for us. I pray that that confidence would be ours today, that for the glory of your Son and for our good. In the name of your Son we pray, amen. Well, Mike Rowe has been made a name for himself as the host of the Discovery Channel's Dirty Jobs. Do you remember it? Have you seen it? A, a show that, that in which he, he has traveled the country highlighting some of America's hardest working individuals. You remember just from a couple years ago, it ran about eight seasons on the Discovery Channel, Micro Dirty Jobs. And, and every episode began with Mike's, Mike's explanation that I explore the country looking for people who, who aren't afraid to get dirty. Hardworking men and women who earn an honest living doing the kinds of jobs that make civilized life possible for the rest of us. Everything from cleaning sewers to castrating sheep. And if you want to see or hear about Mike's experience with the ladder, all you got to do is go onto YouTube, and he explains that whole process in a TED Talk he gave. But really, what you should understand is that that TED Talk, the real point of that TED Talk, and what he's continued to point out ever since, is that if, you're, if we're going to continue in our country to see people who are willing to work hard for our country... We've got to be a country that's willing to work for our workers. It's a real politicized statement in today's uh, environment, but that's what he says, that, that if we're going to continue to see people who are willing to work hard for our country, we've got to be a country that's willing to work hard for our workers. country in which Hollywood, he points out, doesn't turn every tradesman into a comedy sketch, in which in which Madison Avenue stops painting the good life as one in which we don't have to work so much or don't have to work so hard, in which Silicon Valley values both the technology that goes into our phones as much as the everyday people who use them, and in which Washington continues to pass policies that not only protect the ten, top 10% and look out for those at the bottom, but that work for those doing the grunt work. This is at least what Micro says, that if we're going to be a country that continues to see people who are willing to work for our country, we've got to be a country that works for our workers. Isn't this something, though, that the state of our own country aside, where it's been, where it's going when it comes to God and being a part of the, the people of God, we can work hard for God precisely because God has a track record of working for us. That we can work hard for God because God has a track record of working for us. Not because we're the boss, but because he works on our behalf. A track record of coming alongside us and, and the work that he's given us and doing through us more than we could ever do on our own. So that again, we can work hard for God because of a confidence that in that, God will work for us. 
And I want to take the time this morning to consider, first, what that looks like in God's people as a whole, and then second, what that looks like in the life of an individual. What it looks like in the life of God's people and what it looks like in the life of an individual. To work for God because God works for us. First, what it looks like in the life of God's people because the picture of the good life painted in the Bible is precisely that. All God's people working for God and doing so because God works for them, which is really what chapter 3 of Nehemiah is all about, God's people working for God and no longer Nehemiah doing all the work for himself, but, but now all God's people taking up the cause, picking up their pickaxes, as it were, and pitching in, which if you skim through, you can see. All God's people, one next to the other, next to the other, next to the other, all God's people pitching in to build this wall around God's city. Maybe it seems like a little strange piece of the work of God, but this is what they're doing. And even doing that work in the face of those who who would have done anything to undo it, right? Because remember where we left off in chapter 2. With this guy named Sanballat, the, the Horonite, and his buddy Tobiah, the Ammonite, and their acquaintance Geshem, the Arab, who, who it says heard what God's people were doing and hated it. They hated it. That, that back in chapter 2, verse 9, it displeased them greatly. And, and then in verse 19, that when they heard of the people of God taking up the work of God, Nehemiah says, they jeered at us and despised us. Yet, because of the the good hand of their God, you remember this from last week? Because of the good hand of their God, it says, the people of God strengthened their hands for the good work. That because God was working for them, they strengthened their hands to work for God. And in chapter 3, this is really where we're just painted a picture of what that looks like for the people of God as a whole, beginning with the the clergy, as it were. You see it there in verse 1, where it says that, that then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. You picture it? I can picture this. I like this kind of clergy. The clergy representing doing their part. Here they are. But next to them, verse 2, look, it says, the men of Jericho built. Men of Jericho who had a thing about walls. They, They knew what to do with walls, how to build them and what could eventually bring them down, right? The, the men of Jericho built. But then next to them, Zakur. Then, then the sons of Hasanah. Then next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, And the list goes on. But notice, both clergy and commoner join in the cause. One next to the other, next to the other, next to the other, laboring alongside each other, doing the work. Why? Because it was God's work. And if you didn't join in, notice at the end of verse 5, it's because you weren't willing to stoop down to serve the Lord. Interesting picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. 
a follower of God, one willing to stoop down to serve the Lord. But those who did, they were, they were working for God because they knew God was working for them. The clergy and the commoner, and even those who, who, who were a little less common, perhaps not the aristocracy of the Tekoites, as it's mentioned at the end of verse 5, but look at verse 7, where, where we're told those of Gibeon and Mizpah joined the work. Mizpah in particular being the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. As if to say that even those in Washington got involved in the dirty stuff. But notice also that the work is done by, by those who presumably were made for it as well as those who were not. Because the text goes on and it goes out of its way in verse 8 to mention that next to the men of Gibeon and Mizpah, Uziel, the son of Harhiah, goldsmiths repaired. And next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers. And it says they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Which is quite a picture, right? The goldsmiths and the perfumers dropping the work they were used to to join in the work they were needed for. The goldsmiths, you can picture it with their fine hands. The perfumers with their fine sense of smell. Now what? Blistered and sweaty along with the rest of God's people. Not because it's what they were, went to school for, or because that's what they were particularly gifted for or would have preferred or enjoyed. Or because that's what they would even always be doing. But, but because that's what was needed. And there's some things in the life of God's people that call for all hands on deck. And for us to minister outside our comfort zones. Because some things that we do are just that important. Because no doubt, you can, you can be a great goldsmith, right? And, and you can do that for the glory of God. You should do that for the glory of God. Or you can be a great perfumer. But there is a sense in which being a part of God's people is an even more fundamental part of your identity. And while it ought to, to color your work as a goldsmith or as a perfumer, it doesn't strip you of that piece of life. It does at the same time call you to another work that you join in with the rest of God's people, to the establishing and expanding and ever deepening of the city of God. Whether clergy or commoner, or aristocrat, whether especially made for it or not, whether from one generation or another. Like Shalem, down in verse 12, who is said to have repaired he and his daughters. You catch it? He and his daughters. This is my kind of guy, getting the family involved, and even especially raising up my kind of women, right? who can swing a hammer for the glory of God. Catherine can't swing a hammer. She can do other things, though, right? This is my kind of women. Like, teaching them that they're not on the sidelines, but right in the thick of it. And doing it 
right alongside dad. Again, all for the glory of God. And you can dig into some of the other details on your own, but notice that the picture you get as the the camera lens pans around the walls of Jerusalem from the sheep gate in verse 1 and back again in verse 32 is of all God's people working for God. And some who were working on one part, they show up later, they they beat the camera to, to another place in the wall, taking up another task after the first was finished. Others are seem out of place. Eliashib is 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 building one part at the beginning. Later his house is mentioned, he's nowhere to be seen. Others building in front of their house. But all of God's people doing the work of God, working for God. Because God had already and was continuing to work for them. Like Nehemiah had said back in 2.20, that the God of heaven will make us prosper. That's what it looks like in the life of God's people as a whole. But what does working like that look like second in the life of an individual? What does it look like for for one of us to work for God because of a confidence that God works for us? And here I want to look again. I want to look again at the character of Nehemiah as the camera pans in once more to focus on his personal life. And does so in chapter 4 as this guy Sanballat once more enters the scene. Sanballat, the guy who was so displeased when Nehemiah showed up in the first place, so enraged when he rallied God's people to the cause. Now Sanballat is angry again and, verse 1, greatly enraged. And it says he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and in the presence of the army of Samaria... What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? And then listen to Tobiah. He chimes in. You can just see these two, right? These are like the schoolyard kids. Tobiah, like, hey, yeah, 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 right, yeah, yeah, what, what they're building. If a fox goes up on it, he, it will break it down, their stone wall. Ha, ha, ha. It's a good one, Tobiah. But listen to Nehemiah's response. He prays. It's no surprise at this point, right? He prays. Verse 4, he says, Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. They're going against you, so you do what only you can, what only you have a right to do. He prays. It's not what I would have done, at least not in my younger years. I would have thrown down out on the the backside of the playground, 
You want to talk like that? Let's go at it, right? Let's settle this once and for all, right? Mano e mano. And if you win, I'll shut up. If I win, you shut up, right? That's how I would have got at it. Or I'd at least have whipped out the letter from the king. But not Nehemiah. He prays. Puts it back in God's hand to deal with God's enemies like only God can. He prays, but notice also he builds. As he says in verse 6, so we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height. For what? For God had grace on us? Yeah, no doubt. But, but what does he say? For the people had a mind to work. He prays, and so they build. They're working for God, trusting that God will continue to work for them. But it says, verse 7, when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, a growing number of enemies, heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. They were agitated. And they all plotted again together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. But what, it is, what does it say, verse 9? We prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night, working for God, confident that God was going to continue to work for them. I prayed, we built, we prayed and set a guard. And listen to what happens when the, the faith of others begins to fail. Look at verse 10. It, it says, in Judah it was said, the strength of those who, who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. True enough. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them, the surrounding country, came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And, and look at what Nehemiah says to the people, verse 14. What a rally cry. And I looked and I arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Why? He says, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight. Fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters, your wives, and for your home. Remember the Lord and fight. He says a very similar thing then down in verse 20 where he tells the people, if you hear the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. Fight for our God will fight for us. This is what it looks like to work for God because of a confidence God is going to continue to work for you. One pastor reflecting on this passage said it reminded him of something Oliver Cromwell had said during the English Civil War. 
to trust God and keep your powder dry. Why? Because trusting God doesn't mean you're, you're not going to have to shoot. It's trusting God even if you have to shoot. And this is what working for God with a confidence that God works for you, this is what that looks like in the life of an individual whose confidence bleeds out through him even as he continues the work of bleeding for God. Whether in the face of derision to pray and build or in the face of danger to pray and set a guard or even in the face of death itself to remember the Lord and to fight. Why? Because God will fight for you. And there are deep theological waters that you can wade into here about divine sovereignty, human responsibility. But I think to understand the author's purposes in this passage, we ought to recognize that here the emphasis is on the practical. Again, on, on what this looks like in the life of God's people, and then specifically what it looks like in the life of an individual. That the, the, the one side of this, a, a deep confidence in God's work on our behalf, isn't meant to undo, but rather enhance our work for God. And practically speaking, there's a reason for that. Because if you, you go through life, on the one hand, thinking that it all depends on you, you'll give up before you even get going. At least you should. Because you'll realize right out of the gate that you can't do much of, much of anything on your own. That the derision is too great, that the dangers are too much, and that death is too strong. And you'll be too scared stiff to do anything. But on the other hand, if you go through life thinking that it all depends on God and, and you have no part to play, not even under God, you'll have nothing to get you going. After all, can't God just do it on his own? Well, yes, I suppose he can, but he's chosen to work through his people and to be glorified through the work of his people, through self-centered individuals who naturally would only work for themselves but who now work for him. So practically speaking, and again, there are deep theological waters that you can wade into here. Though I'd caution you, at some point, you're quickly going to be made to have to swim. But practically speaking, the, the least we can say from a passage like this is that this matters. That this is the kind of people God is looking to grow. Because if you're going to get anything done for God, and Nehemiah got quite a lot done for God, especially anything that lasts and anything of lasting significance, it has to begin with a confidence that ultimately God works for us. And specifically that God works through us as we work for him. And you've got to ask, right, what was so significant about the wall? 
What was the point? Just a pile of rocks protecting a, a pile of ruins that would fall time and time again into the, the centuries ahead of that, into the hands of one foreign power after another. What was the significance? Except that through those same walls, through those same gates, would someday walk one who would ultimately be derided more than any of us ever would, who would face the, the threat of dangers unimaginable and then take on death. Why? Because as it says in the Gospel of John, he was working the works of his father who was unshakably confident that God was likewise working through him. One who by his works now works works even God's works in us. So that the significance of Nehemiah's work was in the fact that, that, that they were just a part of a greater work God was leading up to in Jesus Christ. Similar how to to how today all great works are just reverberations of that work that came before. Works done for God in the great confidence, ultimate assurance, looking back at what happened on the cross, that they are extensions of God's great work today. Let me just leave you with two thoughts. First, with regards to us as a body, and then second, with regards to us as individuals. First, for us as a body. And as far as our little part in what God is doing in this world, I want you to know that, that this is a body thing. This is a body thing, that, that we want to be a body where all members are doing their part as we work together to accomplish the great work of God. The great work of expanding and extending and ever deepening the city of God, which you've got to recognize from the beginning is all about bringing in and building up the citizens of God. This is a people thing. And let me go as far as saying that, that as far as that great work goes, that means that alongside whatever you're doing in this world, in all of it, we want to be a people who are constantly asking, how can what I'm doing today further what God is doing for eternity? How can my being a mom, being a dad, being a grandparent or a student, how can my being a, a butcher or a baker or a candlestick maker, how can my being a goldsmith or a perfumer, if that is what you do, how can that be leveraged to make Jesus known in this world? But I also think it's worth asking on, on top of being the goldsmith or the perfumer or whatever, I think it's worth what asking, what have you, how, how, what have you, what are you doing, what am I additionally doing above and beyond to join the work of God? 
And so for me, you know many of me, uh, many of you know me, I'm a pastor, if you haven't realized. I'm a pastor. This is what I do. That's a lot of work, though, on the side that, that doesn't have anything to building up, maybe a little bit tangentially, but, but there's a lot of stuff that feels like it doesn't have anything directly to do with building up the king. There's a lot of like little things that happen on the side, right? I'm a pastor, though, right? And some of that has to do with building up. But apart from that, what am I doing? Well, personally, I made the decision, right, that, that I need a connection point with our community, so I have taken as many opportunities as the park district will allow me to take in any given soccer season at coaching soccer teams. Now, I'm not saying that's for everybody. I'm not even saying it's the perfect thing for, for anybody. But for me, at least, it provides a touch point, right? It provides a touch point with the community to, to invite those who do not know Jesus or at least don't know Jesus the way I know Jesus to invite them to know him better, to extend to them the, the Savior, right, that I have found in Christ. And so, yes, I get the added benefit of being able to coach my kids and I get a plaque at the end of it so I can prove it later in life that I was there for them when they needed me most. <laughs> but really, as I talk to Catherine, that doesn't flip the bill for us as far as making it worth it especially at the end of a season. It really gets to not being worth it. But what is worth it is when somebody walks in and starts worshiping Jesus in a new way, even among us. What is worth it is being able to walk someone through what that story is all about, the one that story is all about. And so let me ask you, what about you? What about you? In what ways can you leverage the rest of life, let alone what you do on the eight to five, whether it's a mom or, or, or a dad or at work or whatever that looks like? What else? How can you live a life that is more about the story of Jesus than about the story of you? Because this is what it looks like. To work for God, doing God's work, as you have confidence that God will, in fact, work through you. What are you doing to join God in that great work? He's doing a lot of tangential things, and God can reign in a lot of tangential ways. But there is one great work that we have been called to, to expand, extend, and ever deepen the city of God. And that's a body thing. That's an us thing. Well, if that wasn't direct enough, let me talk to you, though, as an individual. Let me speak for a moment to that. And ask you whether you're living with this not I, yet I perspective. This not I, yet I perspective. I was thinking about this yesterday as I was floating down the river with Emmett. And I think it's a helpful way to think about it, as long as you don't go too far and go all Pocahontas on it, right? I was thinking about this, floating down the river, and thinking that, 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 that maybe this is a way of, of looking at this, right? Emin and I were, were on this canoe trip that I promised to go on um, with him for a, a while now. We were, we were making up because, again, the soccer season got in the way. So we're trying to make up. We're trying to get, get a, a birthday 
thing in, and, and we're floating down the river, and, uh, and we made it pretty far. We made it even further than last year. We made it all the way. We started just up here on the river. This is it. We started just up here. We made it all the way to Byron, Illinois. You can actually float all the way through. There are some pretty hairy spots. There is one place where I don't think anybody checks what's going on at that part of the river. And it can get bad. But we made it. In a day and a half, I think we were on, I don't know how long we were on the river. But we made it all the way there. And yet, I don't think we can either. Emmett definitely can't. I don't think I can either take credit for making it that some 60 miles on, on the river. Because really, all I was doing was trying to keep us in the bounds and let the river do its work. I was just trying to go with her. Every once in a while, I'd start paddling against the river for some reason. Every once in a while, we would stop paddling. We ended up in a tree or something. That wasn't any good. But really, the river took us. The river took us. It took us further than we could have ever gone on our own. So not I, yet I kind of thing. A perspective that Nehemiah embodied. A perspective that Jesus perfected. A perspective that he then passed on to all his followers and really maybe was, was put to words best by a guy named the Apostle Paul. Here's what Paul says. He says, that I have been crucified with Christ. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I have been crucified with Christ so that it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Yet the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Not I, yet I. And I wonder if for yourself, caught somewhere between the it all depends on me that eventually it's going to burn you out or the nothing depends on me which may be the cause for you missing out. I wonder if you can find your way looking at a story like Nehemiah which points forward to the bigger story that was going on about Jesus. I wonder if you can find yourself into a better position like even Paul did. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray today um, that you would indeed pick up the work and do it through us. That we would pick up the work on your behalf. That you would work on our behalf. That we would get out of the way, not get in the way, but go on the way, along the way, follow your way of making and growing followers of Jesus even as we grow ourselves. Pray it would be so to your honor. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot O-R-G.